Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. What a great picture. What a great picture of the ability of working together and the power of that is. I, I see a couple other illustrations as we're talking today. Even the fact that it's a, it's a picture of even what God can do, greater things than we kind of imagined, you know, things that seem almost impossible. But here's the thing that we're going to kind of understand throughout the day, and that is the importance of being able to trust others to help you out, to trust others to hold you up. Uh, to be honest, I really wasn't playing too much. I was a little nervous because there's a lot of there's a lot of me, okay, getting on those poor little cups. And so the there's a, and and it's important. If just one of those on the edge would have given, that would have could have caused some problems all the way around. And do you understand that's how important it is that we're holding each other up? And that's part of what we're going to talk about today. So let me say, as Josh did earlier, thank you for being here at Calvary. I'm glad that you've joined us today. Uh, those of you who are here in person, it's great to see your faces. Those of you joining us online, I'm so glad that you have joined with us today. Um, we, are, we also have this great group of kids with us. This is our first fifth Sunday of 2021, and so on our fifth Sundays is a family service, so we have our children with us in, in the service today, and it's great to see you today. Here's what we're looking at. Since we started 2021, We've been looking at this particular phrase of moving forward, the idea of where we are and the, the steps that God has for us. And with that in mind, today's topic comes down to this. It's time to take that next step. It's time to, to take a, another step. Now, for some of you watching, some of you here in the audience, this step that I'm talking about could be um, a, a first step. Or maybe a, you might say a restart step. It's the idea of something that you're not doing, you haven't done perhaps, and you've got to take that, that first step. And, and most of you are probably familiar with the phrase, um, the hardest step is that first one. The first step's always the hardest, right? And that's the truth. And part of the reason is because that first step, you have, you have no momentum. You have, it's a cold start. It's having to, to move without anything helping. And, and that first step is often a, a tough one. And so sometimes when we look at the enormity of the problem or the issue and taking the step, it just seems overwhelming and we sometimes end up not taking it, right? So some of you, that may be for you. There's a step that you need to whew, have the bravery to take, right? For some of you, it might be more of that next step. You're moving, that's not the problem, but that next step, that, that, one's, that one seems a little bit bigger than some of the rest of them, it, it appears to be. Or that one's not quite, you can't see quite as much of what's going to happen. You're not exactly sure what's going to work out, and that's a, that's a frightening thing. When we're taking, we're, we're, we come along pretty good, and now it's like, whoa, I don't know about this step. This next step is big, or as in the words of the astronaut, remember when he said this is one small step for a man and one giant leap? Sometimes that next step seems like a giant leap. It, it seems bigger then. And so sometimes then we, we, we hesitate, we procrastinate, we put off because that next step is a tough one. Here's what I want to suggest today, and that is it is time for us, whatever that looks like for you, to take that Next step. First, repeat however we're looking at it. So you've joined us today, online or in person, on a very special day at Calvary, in my opinion. We've, this day, there's a lot of things we're going to do today 
that have been a part of meetings that have happened for the last several weeks, even actually a couple of months, of different meetings leading up to these, these early days of 2021. As we talked about moving forward, we began the year 21 and 21 with the 21 days of prayer to kind of set the right foundation to how we want to move forward in 2021. Well, now we're, we're moving and we're, we're sharing with the, the fact of where we see God is moving and things he's doing in our lives. And uh, we've spent a lot of time in some meetings doing that. In fact, tonight I invite all of you back that would like to join us here at 5 o'clock. We have our annual uh, church administration meeting. And that's a meeting we talk about how the Lord blessed in 2020. But we'll also look forward to things that he's, he's leading us to do in 2021. So that's kind of the day. If you're a guest, this is the first time you've watched this or been with us. This is really a great day to come and kind of hear what Calvary's all about. Kind of see a direction for where God is leading us. But with that in mind, we're looking at, at what, is, what are some things that God has shown us? What are some things that God is doing and, and what does that look like? So here's what we're going to do. A couple weeks ago, I shared a passage of scripture with one of our leadership teams. And I want to take you to that same passage today. It's actually kind of a, well, I would call it an interesting passage because it comes from a, a rather obscure book of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, have your getting to the scriptures, we're going to the book of Haggai today. And for some of you, yes, that is a book of the Bible, all right? That's maybe one that, you're not, that you have not been to recently, or maybe never. You've perhaps missed that part of the Scriptures. But it's at the, toward the end of your Old Testament. It's just a two-chapter little book. But let me promise you, dynamite does come in small packages, right? And this is a power-packed uh, few verses that, are, that the God puts in, into the, the essence of the prophets. And here's how this, this passage began. I want to start chapter 1. Let me read a few verses, starting verse number 12, where the writer says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, Joshua, son of Josedach, Okay, let me stop right there. Sometimes when I read names like that, I look across the audience and I see people go, what was that? What is he? Is he speaking English? I mean, those are some tough words. Give me a vowel. You know, those kind of, it sounds like the, the Chicago Bears of 63, right? The Jehozadak playing left guard, right? It's kind of that kind of a picture. Don't let the words intimidate you and, and take pleasure. You don't have to pronounce them. I do, okay? So just kind of take pleasure in that. But let me try it again. Let's start and get past some of those words. But listen to what he says. Jerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. Now, that's a very powerful passage of Scripture. We're going to kind of unpack it here in a few minutes. But just pick out one little phrase with me that I think is just kind of sets it off. Right in the middle of all that, he says to them something very encouraging, motivating, inspiring. He says, the Lord is with you. God promises, I am with you. So this journey he's talking about to these people is a, is a promise. And we see it Old and New Testament that God promises to be with his people. He doesn't call us and then leave us to hang out on our own. He, we go with him. We follow him. He is with the people. That's a word of encouragement that maybe even that's what you need to hear today. But let me also share with you that this, there's a story behind this passage. There's a story that a, a, a historical account that led to the words that Haggai was called to write here in this this chapter. And in fact, we find this historical record in a couple of the other books as well. Haggai, 
Zechariah, which is the next book, another Old Testament prophet, and the book of Ezra. Those three particular books share a, uh, a story, a historical account that happens with Israel that leads to some very powerful words. And what I know this to be, this is ancient history, literally ancient history, but I believe it has 2021 ramifications. I believe it is applicable for us right now. So we're going to walk through, we're going to start back at the beginning of the story in Ezra, and I want to walk through some observations that were true for them, some things that you'll see as you walk through it, but I believe they're just as relevant for us. Would you stop right with me for a minute and let's pray before we get any further. Would you pray with me? Father, we're looking forward to what you're going to share with us today, what you want us to learn. And Father, my heart knows that we've been talking about this for, for weeks and months of what you're doing at Calvary. And Lord, I pray that this word just comes alive to all of us in this room and in those watching online. And I pray that whatever you're saying to us will be willing to respond. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's look, walk through this, this story and what happens and how it can apply to us. Here's one of the first things you'll learn as we go back to even Ezra, and that's this, that the Lord moves in mysterious and often incredible ways. That the, the Lord moves. When we go back to Ezra, that's where this whole thing began. This, this historical record starts in the book of Ezra, but I don't want you to underestimate the power of these open words of this, this book. The book of Ezra starts this way. Chapter 1 and verse 1, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation. The king of the, the worldwide power makes this proclamation. Here's what he said. And any of his people, that's the Lord's people, any of the Lord's people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord. Now, the why this is so significant is that almost 70 years before these words were written, the Babylonian Empire was literally doing a worldwide sweep. And they were just going from nation to nation and basically taking them all uh, under their wing. They were just overcoming that part of the ancient world. And as part of a judgment upon Judah and Israel, they were God's people, but they had they'd gotten into idolatry. And so part of their judgment was God allowed them to be one of the captives. So the Babylonian Empire has come. They've come to take over even Israel. And in the process, when they finally did, they destroyed their capital city, the beautiful Jerusalem. And within Jerusalem was the temple that Solomon had built, which was basically kind of a, a man-made wonder of the world. It was just phenomenal what it was in its existence. But they wiped out not only the city, but they wiped out that temple. So now what we have, almost 70 years later, we have Cyrus telling the, the people that are now, many of them had gone into exile, and they, what started is Babylon, now it's Persia, that's taken over them. So all these exiles, this king now says to them that something incredible. Here's what we know. Most of the people had written off Judah and Israel, including a lot of Judah and Israel. It was kind of like, we're done. You know, that Babylon's come, we're, we're over, well, that was the last of us that you're really going to hear about as a worldwide power. But God had promised that he wasn't done with them. He'd, made, he'd already promised that this would last 70 years, but he said, but I will return you to the country. So the, the, God had already made this promise, even though most of the people had given up. So now when this king, Cyrus, makes this proclamation, anybody of his followers that want to can go back. What a, what a powerful thing. We have a pagan king making this. But here's something, don't, don't forget. Cyrus wasn't a follower of God. 
In fact, history tells us this particular move of his probably had a couple of, of things. Maybe one was uh, even his own spirituality. He was doing it for his god Marduk. But also the fact that this was, had political ramifications. This could help him in a political fashion. Not, he wasn't following God's law. But that brings us to the point of this verse. Did you, you remember reading it? It says that the Lord moved in his heart. That phrase, he moved, you could say, some versions say he stirred up the heart of Cyrus. He incited him. Even the word waked, awakened, he woke him up, right? So what Cyrus is, is the one in charge, but it's God that's moving his heart to cause him to do what he's done. Here's one thing you got to remember. God isn't a passive bystander in the events of the world. Or the events even around us. It's not as if God is just saying, oh, have fun. It's all yours. God is working. He is moving in incredible and even mysterious ways, which is a great thing to think about. One is, even what you're, the fact that you're here today or watching online, some of you, you've even asked the question, why? I don't, I'm not sure how I got here what was it that brought me here? There's a, and, and, but even the fact that you're here today, I believe, is an evidence of the fact that God is still moving. He's still stirring in people's hearts. The fact that at some point you, you realize that there's something missing and maybe I can find that in church, that was a great thought, but that was actually God stirring. For, God, for those of you who know Christ, when you came to him, you didn't come of your own volition because you thought it was a great idea. It was because God stirred in your hearts, and he's still doing that today, and I hope he's doing that right now. So that by the end of this service, as God has stirred, you're responding to what God has moving and stirring because he's still doing that. But think of it from this way also. Here's Cyrus, the emperor, the king of the, the worldwide dominating power of Persia, who's being moved by God, that has got to bring us some comfort, Christians, to understand that there's no one, I don't care who they are, what power or position they're in, that is doing that without God having a hand, God doing a work, God moving even in their hearts, because I don't even think Cyrus realized what he was doing. He's making these decisions as if this is something that I'm doing because I'm in power, and it was all because God was putting pieces into place. God, even leaders, all of those, God's still working whether they even realize it or not. Christians, because God still moves in mysterious ways. But you'll notice Cyrus wasn't the only one moved by God in this passage. Look at verse number five. Everyone whose heart God had moved prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. There's our same word again. Everyone whose heart was stirred, everyone who God had moved in, they, they, uh, Cyrus over, opens this opportunity, and not everyone went back. Many of the exiles stayed put, but there was well over 40,000 that we'll find that make this move with them, and it was the ones that God had moved in the hearts of his people to do the work that he wanted them to do, and it was to go build his temple. God was at work moving in the hearts of his people. Some of them may have doubted that even God could do this, or that, but God says, whatever, I have a plan for you, I have a job for you, and I'm calling you to go back and to build this temple, to do what I have asked you to do. Now again, this is an old story, there's some people that will, will before our, way before times that we ever recognized. But this same story 
it still carries, the same principle carries over to what we're experiencing today. Yes, God still moves in the hearts of people, but here's something that I found. I, I found the comparison un, uncanny. When you look into the New Testament and you look at the church and what God is doing within his congregations of people, his churches, like Calvary right here in Taylorville, this particular picture comes, comes alive from the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul is talking to the church there at Corinth, the church that is growing there in, in that assembly. And here's, look at how he, he addresses them. He says, don't you know that you, church, you yourselves are God's temple and the spirit of God dwells in your midst. You, church at Corinth, you're God's temple. Now, we know that old temple, Solomon, and the one they're going to build, but he's saying now, every church, you are God's temple. But here's what we know. This isn't a temple. God has called us to build a temple, but it's not, a build, it's not the buildings. It's, it's the temple that he's talking about are the people that he's called. It's the, those who have, are followers of his. One by one, God is building his temple one person at a time. Right here in Taylorville, as he calls people to Jesus, one person at a time, the church is the people that God is calling. And so what we, what we know is that God, has, uh, God is putting his people together as we share who God is, as we appoint people to Jesus, what, we're, what are we doing? We're building his temple. As we are helping those who know Christ to follow him and to serve him, what are we doing? We're building his temple. I see that the same principle of, that Haggai shared to these people, God has with us, that we have gathered together to do God's work in this place, and that work can be described as building the temple that he has designed for us. And Jesus said, I build my church. The gates of hell can't even stand against it. God's doing a work in the midst of his people. He's building his temple one person at a time. And we're right in the middle of that. What a phenomenal idea. The Lord moves in mysterious ways. Well, here's how the story continues. The people do go, do go back, a, a group of them, they go back to do what God has called them to do. And things start off in a phenomenal fashion. You go into chapter 2 and 3, it tells the ones that go back, and they, they actually begin the work, they, they assemble everything together, and, and they put the foundation of the temple in place. And just that site, that once the foundation was laid, the people just stopped and, and called a party. They said, look, the foundation for, for all these years has been gone, and now the foundation, and they threw a party. In fact, it's described it was so loud that the neighboring cities wondered what was happening in Jerusalem. They were making such noise that people go, what are those people doing? Because the, just because of the foundation has been laid. They were so excited. So things are moving well, which leads us to our next very important thing to understand about God calls, but understand that opposition, or you may call it hurdles or obstacles, opposition to God's work will happen. Those people get to moving, they're doing what God has called them to do, but what they found out very quickly was not everybody was quite as excited about God's work as they were. And I'll make that same promise, God calls us to do a work, not all people are going to be quite as excited about the work that God called us as, as we should be. The opposition was almost immediate because there was immediately an enemy that says, I don't want, as soon as God moves, the enemy moves to try to stop God's work. That's, that's the principle we learned from Scripture. Let me show you what happened here. We, we come to chapter 4, and the, work, the foundation's finished. They're starting to move forward. But chapter 4, verse 4, then the people's 
around them, the people around those doing the work, they set out to discourage the people of God and to make them afraid to go on building. That word discouraged, the King James actually translates it, they weakened their hands. What a picturesque idea that, that when you're moving along and then the more you move, the more you get to where your hands are just heavy and you just don't think, I don't think I can pick up another brick. I don't think I, my hands just can't do anymore. They weaken their hands. We understand the word, they discouraged them, tried to make them afraid from going on. This, this came very early in the building process, but look at verse 5. They bribed officials to work against them. They frustrated their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus Clear to the reign of Darius. That's two complete uh, legacies, two complete kingdoms, if you would, within Persia. And all of this trouble and frustration happened during this whole period of time. It was just like that steady drip that just gets under your skin and gets under your nerves, right? It's the just constant frustration and obstacles and opposition about what, they, what God was calling them to do. It was fierce, trying to stop them. And, and Ezra actually gives other examples from other points in their history. And, and what we see is every time God's started moving the people, opposition was there. They actually had espionage. There was people that tried to sneak in and distract them and, and get them off track. There, were, there, was, uh, there was actually intimidation as well as the discouragement and the frustration. And, and what it is is just time after time after time, they were trying to wear them down. And the opposition trying to get them away from what God had called them to do. Christians, I'm not trying to be a give a prophetic word here. I'm just trying to say the truth of reality from Scripture is that if you're going to do what God has called you to do, trust me, opposition will happen. Opposition will come. And I truly believe, Christians, that we, we've not even seen the, the height of what that opposition could be if God, when God calls us and we begin to do what he's called us to do. We step out and we, we, we continue or we take a step to do what God has called us. Opposition will happen. The enemy wants to stop us. And that's what we got to make sure we, we remember is the, it, may, it may look like the people in front of us are the opposition. The truth is they're, they're just being, they're being maneuvered by a, a bigger force. There's a greater battle going on here. The enemy of God is trying to stop his work, and he'll use whatever resource he can. It could be a crisis. It could be a circumstance. It could be 2020 for all I know. That's all those things trying to stop God's work. But then he often will use the resource of people and put these pawns in place to try to discourage and frustrate and hound and want us to get to stop us from doing what God has called us to do. As, as negative as this may sound, it's a reality we have to re remember is that when God is called, in fact, if you're doing God's work and you're finding it's frustrating, it's discouraging, that almost should bring us hope because that means I'm doing something right. Because God is working, but so is the enemy. And that's what they found. This frustration goes on and on. But it comes down to... A, a kind of a sad ending to this chapter. Verse number 24, it says, Thus the work on the house of the God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The work stopped. God had called them. That was clear. God had a plan for them. They started. The frustration just got too much at some point, and finally the work stopped. Now, there's, a, I think, an important historical marker there. Did you notice it says the second year of Darius? Well, if we go back to Haggai, where we started earlier, chapter 1, in, in verse number 15, it says on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. It's confirmed in both passages, so we know exactly when this happens. 
We know when it started. We know what Cyrus, when Cyrus made that, we know now when, when it, uh, up until the point of when it starts again. Why is that critical? I just want you to try to get this in perspective. That time frame from start to when now, somehow in that time, 16 years have passed. 16 years, they stopped doing what God had called them to do. Somewhere in, from that point A to point B in those 16 years, they, they now become where it's, it's you know, the, I, we knew this was going to be hard, didn't know it was going to be this hard. You know, we, this was a great thought, this a, but man, the, the, now it's getting dangerous. Or, you know, I've got to get on with my life or my family and my things, and, I, and, and now it's more important. I, I've got to make sure that things, that I'm, I'm in survival mode now or just trying to be, I, I'm just trying to get some comfort. This has just been on and on, the frustration, until at some point I don't think it's worth it anymore, and the work stopped. And for 16 years now, there's no hammers trying to rebuild God's temple. Which leads me to my third thought, and this is something I see through this in our lives sometimes. Our, our natural tendency is to stop. It's to quit, to give up. Now maybe, maybe we don't every time, but that's just the natural tendency. When things get that, that big, that ferocious, that contentious, that so over and over again, our, our natural tendency is you know, lives, are, lives now are we're going along and now we're moving and all of this trouble and all of these issues and all the frustration and now it's about, I, I, I think I've got to work on getting my life together, ignoring the fact that God called me here for a bigger purpose. God had a plan for me, but now I, of all, all the frustration worked and now it's, it's more important that I just kind of, I, I, I kind of hunker down and, and get comfortable again which now that's where we come back to Haggai, where we were looking earlier. And I want you to hear how Haggai described to the people that they, they were come back, but they're ignoring all the trouble, but they're ignoring that God had a bigger plan for them. Chapter 1 and verse 2, Haggai says, These people say, the people that are there, that the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Here's what they said. You know, we think it's a, building the house, that's a great idea. I, I like that. But it's just not the right time for us right now. You know, we got my family, I've got my, my life to consider, the things we're trying to get our house built. He said it's, and, and then the next verse, here's how the Lord responds. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, please understand, God's not condemning them for having a nice house. That's not the problem. It's not their, it wasn't what they had. It was that their house, their life, their agenda became more important than what God had called them to do. And he said, is it time for you to do what you want and for your life to go on in my house, my work that I've called? The reason I, you're here on purpose, for purpose, and to stop, is it more important to do what you want to do and to stop doing what I've called you to do? Is that, essentially, that's what he's asking. It, here's what you got to understand. As far as we know, they weren't turning their backs on God. They didn't get back into idolatry at this point like, like their predecessors. Had. They just simply stopped doing what God had called them to do. And God calls him on that. And he said, why is it more important that you do what you want than to do what I have called you to do? And so sometimes we got to realize that happens, right? We get discouraged. We get frustrated. We get overly busy. We, things just come in, distractions, however it is that we can get our, get our eyes off of the, the, the goal of what God has called us to do. And we, and we stop and we forget that God's calling is the most important thing, the most critical, the most priority of anything that we, we could ever do. But here's what you got to understand. The scripture points out this is a common 
issue, a universal problem. Over and over, Old Testament and New Testament, you're going to hear words like this one. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 9, where the Bible says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In other words, you're going to be tempted to give up, but don't. There's a harvest coming. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is important. Don't give up. Don't stop. What God has called you is the most important call in your life. Keep doing it. So here's my question. Is it possible that what God has called you to do, you're, you've stopped. At some point, for whatever reason, there were frustrations, there were discouragement. Maybe you were hurt by someone in church. You were hurt by another person. Maybe you just, the, the over, just continual, everything just piling on or just the frustrations of circumstances of life. But at some point, you pulled back and you stopped. It just didn't seem worth it to continue on. That, that's a nice goal to build God's house. to do. But man, I've got a, so much other to deal with. So I stopped doing what God has called me to do. Now, I'll give you a spoiler alert here. They do actually finish the temple. In fact, Ezra chapter 6 and verse number 15, it says the temple was completed in the sixth year of the reign of Darius. So about almost four years later, they, took, they finished the temple. The people of Israel celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. Now, folks, that's an amazing milestone. But thinking about all that happened, the fact of 70 years, and then the Cyrus's uh, proclamation, and then the work started and then stopped, and so 16 years later, they get going again, and now finally the temple is done. That's huge right there. So that leads me to the question, what, how did they get there? How did they get back into the game? Sometimes that's part of the problem when we stop, the momentum starts to get back into it. What got them back in the game? Or how do, we, how do we keep from getting stopped? Or how do we get out of a rut? Or how do, we, how do we not get into the rut of life? And I think we can learn something from what Haggai told us. How do we get moving again is our question. How do we continue what God has called us to do? Go back to Haggai with me. What he says to the people I don't think it's necessarily a step-by-step -step process as much as there are ingredients here that if we apply them, they can help us either stay out of the rut or if we find ourselves in one, to get back into the, the game again. Let me read it, for verse 12 again. He says, Then Zerubbabel and Joshua and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. They obeyed God. Well, that sounds very simple, but please don't miss the power of what he has just said. You see, God's plan for them was crystal clear, and the same plan that he gave them 16 years before was the same plan he had then. It's a matter of build my house. In fact, they've given resources and everything. Just do it. Just do what I called you to do to build the house that I've called you to make. Just start doing it. Here's what I know. God's people, we're usually led by God one step of obedience at a time. That as God leads us, it, it's usually that step right there. And it's a matter of sometimes in our lives we get frustrated. Oh, I, I don't know what God has for me to do. I don't know what's down the line. He says, well, wait a second. There's a step right there. Have you taken that one? Because if you take that one I told you to take, you're right where I want you to be, and I'll show you another. He's usually one step of obedience at a time, just following God as he leads us. But it's a matter of once he does that, then we have a choice. There's a step. What are we going to do about it? 
Are we going to simply trust him and, and, and obey? I, I heard a recent podcast, and the title of this podcast was The Next Right Thing. I, I like that thought. That's the idea is, what do, I, what do I do? Well, what's the next right thing? What's right before you? What has God shown you? That's, that's his plan. Just take that next step. Let me give you an example from the New Testament. As I was studying through this, a particular analogy Jesus gave kind of rung in, in my brain. Luke chapter 17 Jesus, in his travels, teaches people different things. And he's got his disciples. He's teaching them some important lessons. And the first few verses, um, they're pretty, some pretty strong challenges, such as, you know, be careful what you do so you won't cause somebody else to stumble. You may have freedom, but be careful about other people. It's just as important. Don't, don't have others stumble. That was one. Later, he says something about if a brother sins against you, rebuke them. Ooh, that's a tough one, right? Actually go to someone and say that, that was wrong or that hurt, that's tough. And then he says, but when they repent, forgive them. Well, that's a big phrase right there. But he doesn't just say forgive them. He says you forgive them. And if they do it again, what do you do? You forgive them again. What if they do if they do it again and again? You forgive them again and again and again and again. Pretty soon you're going, wow, that's tough. Those are tough challenges, right? In fact, verse number five, we'll pick it up there. This is what the, the disciples, this was their response Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> you want us to do what? We're going to need a lot more faith to get that done. But listen to how Jesus came back to them. Verse 6, Jesus said, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. In other words, I think Jesus is saying, Guys, faith isn't really your issue. Faith isn't your problem. You've got all the faith that you need. But then he gives a, an analogy. He starts with this kind of a what if question. Look what he says. Suppose that one of you, and as I get this story, you've got to understand, this is a time we're not familiar with. They had masters and slaves and servants, and, and that's to something we don't, we don't talk about much. But that was the way at the time. You have a master and you have servants that served under him and did what he said. That, that's how the people would have understood it. So as he says, suppose one of you as a servant and he's been plowing and looking after the sheep. So will he say to the servant, supposedly at the end of the day, when he comes in from the field, come along now and, and, and uh, sit down and eat. Here is servant. Here, let me serve you. That's not what the master says. The master, won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was said to do, was supposed to do? He says, that's what a master and a servant does. The master says, come in, and it's still, his job's not done. He's still got to serve the master. And look at this last verse. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants and have only done our duty. Now, there's probably a lot of things we can learn from that passage. But in context, one of the things that jumped out to me was this, that I think one of Jesus' points is this. Faith isn't your problem, guys. Obedience is. You see, I'm the master, you're the servant. Any questions? When the master says, then what does the servant do? He obeys. So it's not a matter of, well, I don't think I have enough faith to do it. He says, you simply know what to do and you need to obey it. These are hard, Jesus. Rebuke, forgive again and again and again. He said, yes, but it's not faith you need. Just, just do it. Just obey me. It's a simple state of obedience. Sometimes... Here's what I've experienced. I've done it myself. We, we can sound very spiritual, very humble in our disobedience some days because we'll say, oh, I, I know I should be, but I'm, 
I'm just not as mature as I should be. I'm not as spiritual as you are. I get that. And so I don't think I really can do this. And so I, that's why I'm not. And, and it sounds so humble. And Jesus is saying, you don't need faith. You don't, you just, just do it. Just, just obey. It, it, there's nothing spiritual in that, in that regards. One of our leaders recently shared with this fact that sometimes even in ministry, we say, oh, I don't know what to do, or, you know, I'm not sure I can do, I'm not qualified to do, and so do nothing. <laughs> and here's a phrase, and we're getting t-shirts made as I speak, but her phrase was this, suck it up and do the thing. That's pretty plain, right? But I think that's what Jesus was saying. I'm the master, you're the servant, do what I said to do. It's a matter of obedience. Is there a step of obedience that God is calling your life right now that you're, oh, maybe it's a struggle. I get it. It's a big step. Or maybe it's just something simple. But you're, is there a step of obedience that God is saying, just do what I ask you to do? They obeyed the Lord. If you keep on going, verse 12, and the people feared the Lord. They, they, they feared him. That, that word is a word for awe, for respect, for reverence. It's a word for recognizing who he is and, and, and knowing him that way. Do you realize that when we have a lack of obedience, that really says more about what we believe about God than our ability to obey? Because if we don't obey, we're saying, God, either, God, we don't think that you're going to do anything about it, or... God, I, don't, I really don't want to do this. This isn't in my plan. And so we're saying that God's plan is not as good as what my plans would be. Either way, we're showing that we really don't believe this God. We're not fearing him. We're not honoring him. The whole point of this, and whether this is in order or the fear came first, the point is they had a change of attitude now. They're seeing who God was. They looked over the past of their 16 years of disobedience, and they're realizing God has a plan for them. Here's what we know. The Bible says, Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Ecclesiastes says, you want to put it all down, the whole duty of man is fear God, keep his commandments. It's about having an attitude, knowing who God is and who I am, and based on that, then I do what God says. It's they feared him, they honored him, and they were willing to obey him, which leads us on, verse 14. So then the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the spirit of Joshua, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. The Lord stirred them up. That phrase should, make, should remind you of one we just read, Ezra chapter 1. It's the same phrase. God moved in Cyrus's heart. God moved in the people's heart. Now, 16 years later, after years of disobeying and not doing what God says, God stirs in their heart again. He revives their heart. He gets them back to do. But, but I think, I, I'm not sure, but I think there could be a pattern in the order of this. Sometimes we say, I'm not serving God because I just don't feel it. I'm just not into it right now. That's kind of a human way of looking at it. But I wonder if it's possible if God, when God says, you fear me, you trust me, and so by so doing, you obey me, you just start doing what I've called you to do, and you let me do the stirring. That maybe you get in and do what you're called to do, and then the feelings may come later, but it's not about doing it because I feel it. It's doing it because God has called me to, and when I do, let him stir that motivation, that inspiration back into what God has called us to do. Do you, do you know what to do? Then, then let God stir in your heart. There was one example. I told you there was another book, Book of Zechariah. It talks about the same in, instance, and he addresses the two major leaders, Joshua and Zerubbabel. And God, in addressing them, he's coming to Zerubbabel, and he wants to help him and to stir him up. He's had no step of obedience. Now what are you going to do? Look at what he said, Zechariah chapter 4. He said, Zechariah, understand, you can't do this, but, but listen to what will happen. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, 
not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Zerubbabel, you can't do this on your own. This is too big for you, but you don't have to do it anyway. It's my powers. Talk about getting stirred up. This is God doing a work within him. Within Z, just do what I called you to do because I'm going to give you the power to get it done, which leads us to the final step in this work that God was doing. Verse 14, they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. They came back to work. They, they did what God had called, they, they got back, they re-engaged in the work that God had called them to do. But, but I want you to notice, I think part of the reason is, is because they recognized who they were doing this work for. They came back to rebuild the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. You see, what God's calling us to do, church, what God's calling you to do as a, as a follower of Christ, it's bigger than us. It's bigger than, than, than this, this town. This, this is the work that God, has, the Lord God Almighty has called us to do a work that in itself should have us stop and say, man, this is the greatest thing ever. The privilege, the opportunity of being called by God to do what he has called us to do, and they realize it. So now when the frustrations come, when the obstacles come, I realize this isn't my work, not even by my, I'm doing something for God, so it's worth it. Should I keep, will it be hard? Absolutely. Will the obstacles still come? Yes, they will. But it's worth it. It's what God has ca called me to do. It's what God is going to do in and through our work, in our, in our work. But look at that one word that I want you to grab, and that's the word, they came back to work. They, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the remnant of the, the word they circled that because this was a congregational effort. This was all the people coming back to work. They knew they couldn't do it alone, and so they didn't. They came together, much like our picture of the, the cups and the board, right? One cup is not going to stand, but you put the cups together and look what it can do. Look at the work that can be accomplished, the horses and all that they can pull. Understand, it was they that came back and did what God had called them to do. That's my challenge as we go into this day, church, is understand this. God has called us to rebuild his temple one person at a time, one changed life at a time, and we together can do an incredible work for God. They came back and built the house. Remember that verse I shared earlier, 1 Corinthians 3, where it says that the temple of God, you are the temple of God and the spirit is in your midst. Look at verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred. He takes what he's called us to do very seriously, but look at the last phrase. And you together are that temple. God's got a work started and he's working in our midst and he's calling us to be a part of it. Followers of Christ, you have been called by God to help build his temple, to bring others to him. We as a church have a call in this community to make that kind of a difference. God has called us and together he has called us to make an impact that we, we couldn't make alone. He's called us to do together. So I, I want to wrap this up with, with one last word picture, or one last illustration, if you would. I want to take this, this rope, and I want to I use it as a symbol of the work that God has called us to do, the work of the church. And so this rope is what, who Calvary is, and, and we've got a work to do. And, and so I want to take this and just, just let you think about that. And as you, you look at this rope, the goal is we, we've got a work to do and we've got we to gotta pull on that rope, right? In fact, I need some help. Mike, would you help me out with this? Right, right about there. Would you just grab on and let's, let's pull this rope together, okay? 
All right, so we got a work to do, and Mike and I are working together. Now, think about this, though. There's a couple things that can happen as a part of this. you got a rope and you're pulling. Sometimes it's as if me and him are pulling against each other. It's a tug of war. Well, that's ridiculous. You're not going to get anything done tug of war, right? We've got to work together. But sometimes, here's another thing that happens. Mike's pulling. He's doing his work. And I'm looking saying, wow, that's a nice rope. <laughs> Man, look at that work. That's, that's incredible. And, and so maybe I, I just look at it and I, I never, never get my hands around it. Or maybe I get my hands on it and go, wow, this is cool, but I don't put my weight into it. Do you understand, folks, that we've all been called to do a work of God, but to do it together? And we pull this rope together and think what we can do much more than I could do on my own. But I have a question. Who's going to pick up the rope? Me. Yes. <laughs> Who's going to pick up the rope? Me. <laughs> Who else is going to pick up the rope? Yeah. Do you understand how important this is, church? God has called us to do a work. What a privilege. But he's not meant to do it alone. We're meant to do it together. Will you pick up the rope and do what God has called you to do? Thank you, Mike. Let me think about this. The question is, what is your next step? What does that next step look like for you in service for God? For some of you, either here or watching online, that, that step may be simply you realize today that God loves you and he sent his son because you need a savior. There's, there's something wrong in your life and God's showing you, I, I am what you're looking for. And if you come and, and that he sent his son to die on the cross and rise again so that you could have eternal life. And my question is, have you received that gift? Your step may be, God, forgive me, save me. I recognize my need and I want to come to know you. That could be how God's stirring in your heart today. Will you listen and respond? But if you're a follower of Christ, maybe his response to you or his question to you is, are you going to pick up the rope? Do you see the work that I've called you to do? Will you, not only by yourself, but will you with your family pick up the rope and do what God has called us to do? Would you bow your heads with me, please? As we come to God in prayer, I invite you just to consider the, the pictures that God has painted for us today. That he is doing a work. He's moving in hearts, I think, right here in this room. As he's moving, how are we going to respond? Has God called upon you to know his son as your savior? Would you call out to him and receive him? And maybe you have some questions about that. I'd love to speak with you further about those questions or put it on your card. Say, Pastor, would you give me a call? Or put it in, the, in a text or in a message. Pastor, I, I want to know more about following Jesus. I'd love to share that with you. But as a part of your church, I mean, say, Pastor, I realize this is what, where God has called me, and I want to pick up the rope and to pull with everything I have to do what God has called us to do. Let me pray for you today. Father, for those sitting here in front of me in this room, those watching online, I pray for them. I pray that they've not only heard your word, but the Holy Spirit is just speaking, interpreting that to them, and that they're hearing your call. You're hearing they're moving. You're moving in their hearts. And if there's one under the sound of my voice who is yet to receive Christ as Savior, Father, please draw them. Please help them to know that their need is to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. 
And then, Lord, I pray as a church that we would all pick up the rope and do what you called us to do. Maybe that's for some to get started again. Maybe life and 2020, whatever, struggles have taken us out, put us on the sideline, help us to get back involved again, to make this effort a, a congregational work that we're doing what you've called us to do together. Lord, speak to us. Help us to be willing to respond. I pray this in Jesus' name. Our heads remain cl closed, our heads bowed, our eyes closed. And I just pray that you'll take this time and speak to him as he's spoken to you today. And as God just draws in your heart, maybe it's just say, God, I'm ready to take that step, whatever that is. I'm ready to take a new step or to get back involved, but whatever God is speaking to you, would you spend some time and just Speak to him this morning.